What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 106 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders, find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, I hope wherever you're listening from today, whatever you're doing today, it's as pretty there as it is here in Georgia, because it is gorgeous outside. Trees are blooming. Grass is greening up. Gotta love it. Life is in the air. And I hope that this podcast adds to your life and your leadership. I want to thank Love My Mac, who left this recent iTunes review, said, I love this podcast, practical, enjoyable, and incredibly beneficial. Man, thank you so much, Love My Mac. I appreciate that a ton, and I'm glad this podcast is making you better in your faith, in your life, and your leadership. Today, if you've never subscribed, boy, what a great opportunity to hit pause now. Go subscribe and then share it with a friend. Leave a review. It really does help this podcast get in the hands of other leaders like you that just don't know about it yet. And maybe it can help them out as well. Well, today's episode is going to be a fun one. We're going to get to talk to Stefan Leary. Stefan played basketball at Liberty University. Actually, while I was there, I watched him play many times, a phenomenal college basketball player. What I didn't know about Stefan at that time was his story of growing up in the Houston area, what he had overcome to get to Liberty University, and how God has used basketball as a platform for leadership and for life for Stefan. He coached at the D2 level. He's coached NCAA at the highest level, Division I, as a recruiting coordinator and assistant coach. He's coached high school basketball. He's coached AAU. He's written a book called They Call Me Coach. And today, you get to hear his story. His story of how God has used his life and how God is using his life, not for him, but to bless others. So I want you to sit back. I want you to pull out a piece of paper and a pen, and I want you to listen in to my time with Coach Stefan Leary. Stefan, thank you so much for joining on me in this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. Absolutely, my friend. Anybody, anybody who had to read and memorize the Liberty Way, even if we didn't know each other, we, we've uh, no we've endured it together, had we? Brothers for sure. That's right. There's no doubt. There is no doubt about <laughs> hey, it. Hey, listen, listen. People don't understand the struggle we went through. They don't. We we went through the struggle together, so we brothers for sure. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When you're a college young man and you're ironing a shirt and putting on a tie to go to class, you're suffering hello. for Jesus, baby. Unbelievable. You are. But I told you, man. It, it's had it left me. <laughs> I've posted some things on Facebook because I'm doing a speaking thing on um, Saturday of a men's summit. 
and I've been posting some stuff in our LU group. Are you in that LU group? I am not uh, in Facebook? that. No, I'm not. Yeah, it's an LU group on Facebook. And uh, the one thing that came back and said, Steph, man, you always knew how to dress, man. <laughs> <laughs> what was hey. it, Billy? Billy, Billy Crystal, sir, not live. You say if you can't look, if you if you can't, if you don't look good, you gotta. You, if you don't feel good, you gotta look good, baby. Gotta I look think that's good, what you say. Yeah, and, and there's a story behind that too. Uh, I tell people about how I became such a dresser. I had, I had, I walked into my adopted family's home with two ba- two brown bags. <clears throat> Uh, of clothes, and my mom was like, uh, "Is that all you got?" And I was like, "Yeah, you know, in the in the hood, that's all you get. You get a few pair of shirts, a few pair of jeans, yeah. and a pair of tennis shoes. To go to school in, and you have to take those shoes off when you got home because they got to last you the school year. You know what I'm saying? That's right. So she said, "Oh no, we got to go shopping." So mom took me shopping. And she put these colored things up against my skin and <laughs> had these shirts up against me. I'm in the middle of the store, like, what in the world is going on? And mom, she helped me pick out my colors and she bought me a closet full of clothes. And that day has not changed. I keep a closet full of clothes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So walk me back. So I love that because talking about this adopted mom who takes you. Tell me about Stefan prior to that adopted mom and that adopted family. Give me give, give everybody a little of your background. So uh, as I said, we're from a family of uh, seven. I uh, grew up in Bunky, Louisiana, and my mom, uh, unfortunately, and my dad, you know, were dropouts, non-educated. You had to work, and my mom got pregnant at an early age, and she got pregnant by an older man who, you know, saw a young lady, took interest in her, and basically took her out of her family's home. Turns out, you know, he's abusive, and basically, she she just has six babies in in almost six years, and they're all like back to back. My two older siblings, my brothers, aren't even a full year apart. My next two siblings' birthdays are my first two are in September, and they're not even a day; they're not even a year apart. My second two are in July and they're not even a year apart. And then I come along a year or so later. And then, uh, so my mom is a young woman, um, who, you know, you see in the movies, one of the stories of the drunk man goes out to play cards and gamble and comes home drunk. Many nights where he went out and gambled and came home drunk, he would, make her get out of bed and cook him something to eat two, three o'clock in the morning. And of course, waking us all up. And if she didn't feel like it, didn't do it, of course, he he abused her. And we would hear that and start crying. And if we cried, he'd come in and, you know, um, spank us. Um, So those were, you know, times where I think for me were formative years to where, you know the the voice and the the uh, the cry of abuse was ringing in my ears, 
so that so much so that that's something that you know becomes a part of why you isolate yourself and retreat and the shyness and a lot of the stuff that I've learned about myself was from those years. But my mom was brave enough to, <clears throat> in the middle of the night, uh, load us all up in a car with a gentleman who happened to be the father of my youngest brother and drives us to from Louisiana to Houston, Texas. And when we get here to Houston, um, we weren't told. And so I remember as a kid waking up one morning and walking outside and I thought I was in a dream. I was scared. I screamed and I ran back in the house and my mom said, Oh no, no, we're not in Louisiana. We're in Houston, Texas. Mm. <laughs> and she sat us all down and told us that, that she left. And of course we met this new man and we began to live, build a life there in Third Ward, Houston, as I said, same area where George Floyd was from. Uh, we, were, we were about maybe three blocks from where he lived. Uh, he was in the CUNY homes. We were in, um, actually, we were in Fifth Ward when I first went. Then we moved to Third Ward, where he was. But um, during those growing up years, you know, in Houston, it was... Wherever you move, you had, that's when, like, not gang violence would started back then, but we called them hoods. Yeah. Your hood versus my hood. And it was some good stuff about that in terms of our hoods used to play each other in sports. That's kind of how I got my sports thing in me, because the hoods would play each other. If you were good, the guy in the hood would come in and recruit you to go play the other hood. Now, that might turn into a fight, but... It, it was intention. Yeah. The intentions was we the best hood. We gonna play on a Saturday afternoon football or, or with with basketball or whatever. So that's where my competitive nature started. It was hood through the hood life. But um, growing up, I like I said, I didn't have any structure, educational structure. My mom worked two jobs. She was the cafeteria lady. So when mom got up to go to work, she would always tell us to go to school. And it wasn't until, I think, third grade for me, I'll never forget this lady named Miss Howelton. Miss Howelton saw me come to school with dirty clothes, uh, hungry not having done my homework. And she took to me and said to me, um, from now on, you can't leave school until you do your homework. Mm. And she made me stay after school and do my homework so that I would have my homework. She then later, if I did home well on my homework, she would take me home and she would stop and get me Jack in the Box or McDonald's or something. And so Miss Howardson was one of the first persons in my life to help me understand it's important to get an education. Mm. And I think Miss Howardson sort of passed it on to um, uh, another teacher. Her name was Miss Smith. 
She treated me the same way. And then the athletic part of my life started with Mr. Thompson. Mr. Thompson was the best former college basketball player who was the gym coach and teacher and uh, first person that saw my potential in basketball, sixth grade, and um, brought uh, Robert Reed, who at that time, he was a Houston Rockets guy. And so Robert Reed came and did, you know, camps, little clinics for us at the school. So that's kind of where basketball and, and stuff started for me. I played um, football, baseball. I played select baseball against the Knobloks. Oh, my um, goodness, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was on the all-star team with Chuck Knobloch. Um, and so baseball became one of the things that I was really good at. I didn't really play organized basketball kind of like the Michael Jordan story, uh, I got cut my freshman year from the basketball team. I played football, played baseball. I had cut in basketball, and it motivated me. And so I started playing a lot of basketball. So much so, my mom was gone oftentimes till late at night that I wouldn't go back in the house until I used to look and see her car driving <laughs> from down the street and then I run home take the back way and home and then pretend like I was sleeping in bed I tell a lot of the youth um I used to grow up on the way that I made money to buy shoes and clothes I used to play one-on-one against the drunks when they show up to the park and think they could beat somebody and so uh I used to make money off of that staying out late at night taking the drunk's monies. <laughs> that is too funny. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, Mike, I, I, I really didn't get a desire to be educated until I became a Christian. Mm. Up until then, it was no pass, no play. Uh, my mom, like I said, would say, get up and go to school if you're hungry. So I tell people I went to school because I was hungry. After I went to school because I was hungry, I realized that, you know, if I run home, I used to run home. I used to go for breakfast, and then I used to run home. And I tell kids that we're people like me are responsible for why they put fences and barbed wires <laughs> around schools because we used to show up to school and then run home. <laughs> wow and so I was one of those all my siblings would do it we all just ran home my mom got in trouble because we weren't showing up to school and um she told us we need to stay in school so I stayed in school for lunch at least I had two meals that day yep I got into sports and I started liking PE and so I told people I would go to school for breakfast I would probably sleep in class and get in trouble, and I would go to lunch. I would have lunch, and then after lunch there was recess, and I found myself being one of the better, you know, athletes at recess that people would pick me. So I started getting a little, you know, uh, confidence from that, a little appreciation from that, to the point where I I I love going to school because of recess, two meals and recess. That's what that? I call it, right? And so after I 
after I uh, my sixth grade year, I don't really recall much about being educated, Mike. <laughs> Junior high was a blur to me. Mm. My, I got a lot of buddies that uh, back in high school, we played. I played every sport, and uh, we used to meet in the locker rooms before school and make sure we share homework or whatever yeah. with each other. And that was my foundation for education, right? Um, until, like I said, when I became a Christian, my, the lights came on. Mm. And um, by this time, my siblings have gone the way of drugs and alcohol. My older siblings, the four that are before me, had dropped out of school, started to work, started to do drugs and alcohol, do crime, you know, just trying to make it in the hood. I had sports. I always just played a sport, and so I found myself being saved by sports. Um, and my brothers, I would see my brothers and, you know, the go my mom having to go bail them out of jail and, and, and until one day they do something so bad that they have to serve a long sentence and you started not to see your siblings anymore. And, you know, you don't quite understand all of that when you're going through it. it, it you really just get a reality check of it all once you get out of it, right? So I really didn't know or understand the magnitude of what I was going through or what I lived through until I, I left home. And so my senior year after I became a Christian, my, I believe it or not, this, this guy made a 4.0. That's amazing. And I tell people that the power of God in the physical realm is something totally different than the power of God in the spiritual realm. Mm. Almost instantly, I became an educated person. Mm. I desired to read. I would find myself in the, in, in the corner reading. Like, I became interested in the Bible, and I requested a Bible that had Hebrew and Greek uh, in the Bible. Uh, I have a Bible sitting here right by me that I've had for almost 30 years. Mm. Uh, it's got all my writings in it. I, I flip through it and I'm thinking, man, I, I studied that word. Wow. <laughs> I studied that word. But I became interested in educate education so much so that I made a 4.0. But it's one of the things that I try to tell people and today that dealing with all of this social and racial relations that so much of this is taking the blame for what I think are social issues, period. They're not racial issues. Um, I found myself being taken out of a situation and moving to the suburbs. Back then, you know, the uh, show Different Strokes. Yep. I became Willis to everyone. <laughs> and and the joke of, does your white dad say to you, what you talking about, Willis? Or what you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I became the joke of that. And um, But for me, I found comfort in that movie. <laughs> that was bad. It's funny because 
I thought I was so lost in, in some sense of word because I didn't understand what I was doing as a young black man in this white suburban area here in Katy, Texas, just outside of Houston. And um, I really didn't understand why I was in this situation. Uh, I was confused. Um, when I first decided that I was going to go, my mom didn't want me to because she thought they were going to harm me. Mm. Her, her exact words were, uh, those white people may kill you. <laughs> and I'd say, mom, I don't think it's like that. They're not that kind of people. And, um, but anyways, I, um, I started to get a desire to be educated. I got some structural structure mm. in my life. I couldn't gamble with the, uh, the the drunks late at night because I had to be in bed by 10. <laughs> I said, uh, at first I was like, 10? Man, I, I'm, on, I'm out to midnight. <laughs> As a 10, 11-year-old, 12, 13-year-old, I, I was out till midnight, 1 o'clock, playing with the drunks. And so that was hard for me to adapt to, uh, to structure. Um, I think w if we could help people understand the importance of structure, mm. environment changes, structural changes, and cultural changes could change the life of a person yep. um, and give them the kind of vision and purpose that I think God has for them in their life. And that's what happened for me. I, I it's amazing. My, my growing up years were, you know, I can't explain it. I, I, I've never committed a crime. I've never drank alcohol. I've never done any drugs. Mm. For me in my life, I started seeing things around me and I stayed away from them. Yep. And I started getting encouraged by my siblings and those around me that, hey, don't do this. It's going to destroy your life. Don't do yeah. this. Don't do this. And so I just listened to people, and I didn't do it. <laughs> and I, I don't know why. Like, you know, my brother was a drug dealer. You know, I, I know all about drugs. I yeah. know all about alcohol. My, my parents drink alcohol. My siblings drink alcohol. Um, it was in the refrigerator, the drugs. I knew where my brother's drugs were. In fact, um, if he told me to go deliver, make a delivery for him, he would give me $20 or something to go buy me something. Um, so I know all about that life. However, I was always different. Mm. And because I was always different, when I moved out to the suburbs and to this white family's home, it, I was able to look back and see what I now knew as I came to Liberty as seeds of God. Mm, mm. Seeds that God was planting in my life all along my, my journey. And he always used someone at the right time to right. guide me and lead me in the right direction in terms of like I said, Ms. Howards and Ms. Smith, Mr. Thompson, um, my little league coach in baseball, name was Mr. Hunter. Mr. Hunter would pick me up and drop me off, and he made sure I had food before I mm. before I went home. And uh, 
uh, this is an unbelievable story. So I'm on the mound playing, pitching against Westbury Christian, the district rivalry. And this kid walks up to bat. His name's Stephen Hunter. Stephen and I was on our Little League baseball team and Little League football team. I haven't seen them since I left Little League. And I'm getting ready to throw this pitch. I'm in my windup, cocking back in my windup. And I'm looking at this batter thinking, I think I know that guy. That is <laughs> and the batter wild. looking at me like, I think I know this guy. <laughs> and it's Stephen Hunter. And I step off the mound and I'm like, oh, shoot. And right there in front of everybody is like, Stephen? Stephon? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his parents are over in the stairs watching the game. And they said, Stephon? And it was like, and we had this moment right there as I threw the pitch to uh, Steven, uh, uh, we, he grounded out. So <laughs> it's important to note, you got to keep that in the notes, baby. You got to keep that in the notes. He grounded out. So I, uh, but that, that was the moment where wow. God kind of shows you where you mm. have come from. Mm. And after the game, they walk up to me and they give me this big hug. And they said, we're so happy to see you. We're so glad to see you here. We have always prayed for you and always mm. hoped that God would do something with your life. And it's one of the things in my life that, you know, this, 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 these, th these stories are all in my book, man. They're all out of my love book. It. Of just, you know, uh, rabbit trails of what things that God did in my life um, that became... Um, you know, um, came to light. It finally, yeah. I finally started to understand who I was, mm. why I was different. And um, when I came to Liberty, I was really uh, excited about, uh, mm. you know, Liberty. And I, I took Liberty for what it's worth because Pistol Pete was the one who kind of guided me there. Mm. I had... Um, I visited Arkansas, A&M, Baylor, out of high school, U of H. Um, they had four visits back then. Uh, I visit, Those were my visits for basketball in high school. And I chose Liberty Sight Unseen because I was at, a, a, uh, I was at an All-American camp that we were traveling to uh, Australia, and Liberty Coach was there. I was in Tennessee. Uh, I was an NACA All-American, and um, I was just practicing that day, and Liberty Coach came in there and said, uh, who's the young man there? And he was like, oh, that's Stephon Larry. He's a, he's a Division One kid, but he's still on side. And I said, well, we're going Division One next year, you know. I wonder if he would be interested in coming to play for us. And so uh, Rick Burby is his name. Uh, Rick and I still stand touch today. Unbelievable. Uh, Coach Burby uh, told me all about Liberty. And when I got back from the camp, I, 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 caught, um, I had access to Pistol Pete. He was a mentor of mine. Uh, I call him. I say, hey, um, uh, hey Pistol, I, uh, 
I had this camp, uh, a school named Liberty showed interest in me and it's a Christian school. And uh, I remember this conversation like yesterday. He told me, he says, Stefan, if there was a Christian school that gave me the, the opportunity to play Division One basketball, he said, if I had that opportunity, I would mm. have gone to that school. Powerful. And that's how I ended up in Liberty. Yeah, you didn't end up there because of a visit where you nope. saw the facilities. <laughs> no, nope. that is not why you ended up. There. I came there sight unseen, and man, oh man, did I have an awakening! Yeah, you, you walk <laughs> into the old gym y'all played in back then, and you're like, "Man, uh, silly, this sir. is it." I was, like, I was blown away when I got there. I, I so my my adopted father took me to my visit. I mean, took me to campus. I wasn't even prepared for school, Mike. Because I didn't know, I didn't recruiting process. They didn't tell me I needed to wear a shirt and tie. That's right. They didn't tell me I had to wear a jacket on certain days. Nope. They didn't tell me that I couldn't even wear my warm up suit or my shorts from from the dorm to the cafeteria, from That's the right. dorm to practice or the dorm to chapel. So every day you basically had on a certain tie. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and so. Uh, my dad uh, uh, took me, and we found out then that, oh, I, you, you're not, you don't have the right clothes. You got to go shopping. So dad took me, taught me how to tie a tie That's that it. day, um, tied something for me, and just left them in the loop. You know how you do it. Just throw them <laughs> oh, I know. There. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, I, I went there sight unseen. Uh I just think left the inner city where um, I was introduced to what I, you know, call myself being a black kid in a white world because I didn't see many like me and having those experiences to coming to Liberty. And at that time, the, thousand, the few thousand that were there was majority white. That so much so that all the football and basketball players, we still stay in touch today. Like we, yep. we built a bond and a brotherhood yep. while we were there because that was all that we had. It was all we knew. Uh, Coach Meyer, um, he and I are still very good friends today. Uh, Coach Meyer and I talk yep. often. Um, love him. Uh, had a lot of life lessons with him. But for me... My whole foundation and growing up and trying to, you know, understand this thing called life. Um, God always put some people in my yeah. path that helped me get to where I am today. And that's the probably one of the most, you know, impactful things that I try to share with people because that person didn't have the same color skin that I have. And that's, and that is powerful, Stefan. And I, you know, I love your story because then I was even thinking you, you've got a new book coming out. They yep. call me coach. And I love that because, and then as you unpack your story, so many coaches along the journey were there, those pivotal, those pivotal times. What would you tell coaches that are listening in right now? Cause you've, you've not only been impacted by a coach, but you've coached, 
at the high school level, won a state championship. You've coached at the collegiate level, the division one level. I believe I read you're probably the Liberty's first division yeah. one basketball head coach. Um, division two, head division coach, two, division two. Yeah. NCAA, so, I would say. So I don't know. You, you have not only been on the other side, you've been a coach. What would you tell coaches about the power they have in the young men and the young women that they're leading and coaching? What would you say to them? You know, Mike, I, I uh, you know, what saddens me today is I reflect on my story. Uh, I tell people in my community, I have about 200 people in my organization. So I, I serve in a great, great capacity as a coach. And it's the reason why my book is, they call me coach so much so that uh, many people don't even know my first name. <laughs> How about that? That's why I titled the book that I go into the banks. I go, uh, you know, the stores, wherever I go, coach, 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 you know, and there could be other coaches in there and we all turn our heads. Yep. <laughs> and that's why the significance of why I titled the book, they call me coach. Um, what I would say to coaches is we got to get back to the basics of why we are in the business that we are in. Um, Mr. Thompson in sixth grade was a teacher and a coach. And I would say this, Mike, also for teachers as well, because I always saw myself as a teacher and a coach. I never separated the things. Yeah. When I was in the classroom as a teacher, it was my job to teach you on the blackboard or the green board, the, the integral things of life that will help you become educated and smart enough or knowledgeable enough to be successful. I took that same mentality as a coach and made sure and while I was in the classroom of players, basketball players, we always went through some foundational principle, mm. some book, something that gives you a nugget to help you understand how to apply the principles of the game of life to the game of basketball. I don't think you can separate those two. I and I think that's the biggest thing that people are doing today that I think is uh, diluting the process of our young people is that we're swinging the pendulum from one coach being one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, kids got coaches that don't care about their personal lives anymore. They, they tell you to keep your personal stuff away from here. When you come here, we're all business. This is about whatever sport it is. We're going to mm -hmm. do this, do that. Uh, we're about winning here, and we've forgotten about the life of an athlete. Yeah. Um, and because we've forgotten about the life of the athlete, the screaming, the yelling, or whatever is said, you take this because that's the way it is in the, in the real world. This is the only way you're going to make it, and that's the way that guy coaches. And then we swing the pendulum from to the other side to where you have coaches who are teaching the game of life but not understanding the fundamentals of the game of the sport. I think we're separating the two, and we're, we got to get back to where those two things are important. 
And I think why we did that, this is just my personal opinion, as now being a man who's in a business of coaching uh, players and being able to sit back and watch, I go to a lot of football, high school football games, high school basketball games, high school uh, soccer, baseball. I go to a lot of games. Without question, without question, the one thing that a kid and a parent always has a complaint about is coach won't let me play the way I'm capable of playing. I said, well, go talk to him. They have no communication policies. Mm -hmm. I am absolutely blown away by our educational system that a teacher can have a parent-teacher conference to help you be educated properly, but a coach is allowed to have a policy of no communication. Mm -hmm. No parent contact, don't call me for this, don't call me for that. I think the structure and what we've done in trying to truly educate and truly coach young people I think we have put in place rules and guidelines to protect ourselves, so to speak. And it's cost us and investing in the lives of young people on the level in which you can change and impact their life forever. That's what happened for a young man like me, a coach impacted, invested in me. Personal perspective from a black perspective, so I think what I would challenge each coach is get back to the basics. That's good. Get back to the foundation of what your calling is really all about. And it's about investing in the life of mm. a person as well as, as a bat, as a athlete and as a person. Where, where do you think you would be if that hadn't happened for you? If you hadn't have had coaches that intentionally saw Mr. Hunter, who took you, he saw Mr. Thompson, uh, the coach that took you to beat Pete Maravich and took you to his camp, where would where would Stefan Larry be, Larry be if that hadn't happened for you? It's hard to imagine. Um, if you look at my my family of seven, uh, I'm the only one with a high school education. So it's hard for me to believe if I would have stayed in the inner city and would not have come out to the suburbs that senior year, would not have met Christ, I don't know that those lights would have ever mm -hmm. turned on mm -hmm. for me to be educated the way that I was. For me to gain the kind of structure, the passion, the drivenness, the um, the determination to be successful and to be someone who would impact you know the lives of other people. If you look at the path of my life, if you look at my journey, everyone that I've mentioned to you that had a impact in my life was a teacher, was a coach, uh, and then I later in life was a businessman. Yeah. Um, those are the three things that I have done in my life. The fruit, the seeds of that fruit was planted in me. God used those seeds 
that helped me become the man that I am today. And that's why it's so important for coaches to get back to the basics because you're not planting the seeds. Yeah. And I could give you the greatest example of what that's like scripturally. The parable of the seeds being thrown on the ground. Yeah. Mike, what's happening is, unfortunately, we have some good coaches out there. We have some great leaders out there. But unless you throw that, those seeds on soil where you've got to dig a little yep. to grow That's it. Right. That's right. You can't just throw the seeds on stony ground and think it's going to grow. You can't just throw seeds on the weeds because they're being choked out. To truly get to where we want young people to get to in life, we've got to go a little deeper. We've got to be willing to dig some soil up, plant some seeds. There's some work to be done that we're no longer willing to do. And I think this is a reflection of what we're seeing with all aspects of what's uh, happening in our lives. This racial and social unrest is all of the same uh, problem because nobody's willing to invest in the inner city anymore. It's not a race issue. It's the fact that even successful black men who have gone on to be successful, they didn't go back and plant seeds. That's right. That's good. I mean, I, I look at my own community. I look at the George Floyd situation and I say to people, I say, listen, you know, we have a, we have a problem in America of, of some police that have, that are not men that the kind of men they need to be, but that's not every police. Um, what we have is, I, I can name you hundreds of guys that have left the city of Houston and left the area where George Floyd grew up, mm -hmm. who have become successful, who've not gone back and planted seeds to change that's that right. community. Well, that's good. That's a good and word. unfortunately... The systematic oppression is not the oppression of what this government is doing. It's what we're doing to ourselves because we have to change the structural damage of poverty and social issues. If we don't do that, it doesn't matter if it's a coach that coaches in, the, in that area. You got to get back to investing in those kids. It doesn't matter if it's a teacher who like Miss Howitson said, you're not going home today until you finish this homework. That's right. We're, kids are running out of the building going home and nobody cares that they're showing right. up without the homework anymore. To me, that's people problems, not system problems. Mm. We got to get back to understanding how we can help invest in people. There's work to be done. There's some digging that needs to be done. Then I'm I, I'm sad to say that um, not enough people have been willing to do. You know, you you made a comment before we went on the air today about you know, sometimes I think in coaching we go okay now that you're a Christian sometimes we tell everybody only the good things but sometimes the great coaches tell you the things you don't want to hear and Absolutely. you told me the story about being at the camp this year prior to you coming to know Christ but Pistol Pete the great basketball superstar yeah. of our generation you and i are yeah. the same age growing yeah. up he was the guy he sits down yeah. and had a 
he had one of those pull out the mirror conversations with you. Do you mind sharing that story with everybody? So, you know, I, I, I thought I was pretty good when I was growing up. My brother, I, I, my, the way that I met a, or saw a guy like George Floyd was we had a, a park in, um, in inner city Houston called McGregor Park. If you were good, you went to McGregor Park and you found out just how good you were. It doesn't matter if you hear Clyde Drexler, Akeem Olajuwon, a lot of the old-time greats who talk about the city of Houston, it'll always come back to two places, McGregor Park and the Fondy Rec Center. Once you prove that you can play with the guys at McGregor Park and the Fondy Rec Center, you've arrived. Mm. And so what I started doing was I got to the point, I had an older brother, his name's Willie. Uh, Willie, I owe a lot to Willie from the standpoint that Willie loved basketball. And he dropped out of school, he got a job, he got an apartment, and uh, got married. And because I loved to play basketball, because he loved to play basketball, his Saturdays when he was off, he picked me up and took me to play basketball. And we would go to McGregor Park. Another place was Emancipation Park, Peaksview Park. We just drove from park to park to park uh, looking for a good run. And the whole goal that day was to run the courts. You got to run the courts. You lose when you go to the courts and you're done. You're just sitting watching people in the hot sun the whole day. So uh, that's how I became pretty good at basketball. You got to go into those competitive environments and you got to win. You got to compete to win. Mm -hmm. And it's talking trash. I mean, it's, 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 um, you know, slapping one another, pushing one another. You may get into a little ruffle. You know, I, I mean, it, I, I got some stories for you, man. I, I mean, I, I have the story that we ran, that we had to run from bullets one day. I mean, guy runs out cause he lost and he's, you know, we had a bet and he started shooting and you were running in circles trying to avoid bullets, you know what I mean? <laughs> so that's the way I grew up, man. I grew up like, you know, going to the courts and trying to prove you're the best at the court. And so when, when I go to this, when this coach sees me, this is actually at Memorial High School. My brother worked at um, a Target. He became a manager for Target in Memorial. Um, and he found out from someone who worked at Target that there's some good runs at Memorial High School, which was across the street from where he worked. So my brother would say, hey, uh, I heard there's some good players over there. And sure enough, it was Elvin Hayes. Uh, it was uh, Reed Geddes. It was some of the, you know, U of H all-time greats and Rocket greats, Robert Reed, Rodney McCray. Uh, you know, those guys, Larry Meshaw, all the, all the big time U of H. I'm like, yeah, that's where I need to be. You know yep. what I mean? I need to go. My brother takes me there and that's where I meet Dave Stallman. Mm. Dave Stallman was the coach that I met at Memorial high school. Dave played basketball in high school and college as well. And when I showed up, Dave would pick me on his team. He saw potential in me, he picked me on his team. 
And, you know, I was playing against, I was in high school at that time. Mind you, I was at Madison High School, Madison High School, 1984-85. We won the state championship and went 40-0. I was on the JV team that went 30-something-0, and we all were picked to come back the following year, preseason number one in the state, players returning from the 40-0 team, best JV team in the city. We're expecting to win the state championship again. So I'm, I'm, I'm working that summer and playing like, Hey, I, you know, if I want to make the team, if I want to be a part of this next year's run, you know, we, I got to work. And so that was my mentality, you know, to just, to just dominate wherever I'm at. And, and I had a little, you know, I, I wasn't a foul mouth kid, but I was, it, it, it was my words meant whatever it was supposed to meant that it made you mad whenever I said whatever I said, right? Uh, you know, we used to say things like your mama and all that stuff. It didn't have to be a cuss word back yeah. then. If you, if you hit a shot in somebody's face, you say, that's for your mama, you know, and that hurt a little bit oh, more yeah. than a cuss word. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's how the fight started, right? So, um, so... That's the kind of stuff that I had rough around the edges, just that competitiveness, that drivenness, the desire to dominate and want to be the best. And so when coach asked me to go out to Pistol Pete uh, Marriage's basketball camp, the first challenge was, okay, how am I getting there? And then who's paying for it? Hmm. Being an inner city kid, I'd say, hey, man, I said, I would like to, I've never been to camp, but. I, I can't pay for it, and I don't know how we get there. And he said, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. We will take care of it. We're going to take a van with a group of kids, and we'll take care of you. I was like, okay, cool. So I go, and I ask my mom, could I go? And my mom, again, coming out of the you know small town, Louisiana, still had some race protection issues. Uh, and so she was like, no, I'm not letting you go nowhere with those white, white people <laughs> taking you to Florida. You may not ever come back. And I'm like, okay. So anyway, I convinced her, mom, you're never home. I sit around here and do nothing. I, I, I love basketball. I really want to go convince her I'm going. So when I get there, I mean, uh, at that time, I know of Pistol Pete just because you just know. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know who I'm really meeting because we didn't have that TV that showed the games or, or whatever. Uh, you know, we had the aluminum foil, the antenna pole TV, <laughs> where yeah. it may come in clear and it may not come in clear, you know what I mean? So I didn't get to watch a lot of basketball, and I didn't, I wasn't an avid reader or anything to learn more about it. I just you just know from hanging out with all of the ball players, the pros and stuff yeah. that people say that that's a bad dude, Pistol Pete or whatever. And um, of course, he was doing stuff with the basketball that you know uh, even the brothers in the hood was trying to do. And so um, I didn't know the magnitude of who I was really going to meet until I got there. When I got there, um, he starts camp out with uh, pick a number. And people would just blur out numbers, and he'd say, okay. And he'd point, he'd say, I'll take that number. Let's say 15. 
And he said, yo, send one in his camp. Now you go get a ball. And he would make 15 in a row to start camp. That's how he got my attention. It was like, uh, swish, wow. swish, 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 swish. <laughs> and, and I'm watching this guy. I'm like, holy cow, who is this dude? And then he introduces himself. And they tell us the nature of the camp. But it doesn't come across to me that it's a Christian-based camp until they have, we stayed in dorms and we would have um, kind of like church yeah. in the evening. And I thought, oh, this is some church camp thing. But getting to meet Pistol Pete Maravich and um, learning from him, uh, it was the first time in my life where I actually was introduced to the game of basketball to where I learned something. Mm. He taught at his camps, you know, breakdowns of the game of basketball where I never heard that from growing up in the hood is pressing, running and shooting. Yep. And passing and cutting, passing and screening, you know, down screens and you know, all that lingo was what I learned. So but at that time, you know, being such a hot dog, I didn't need that. I just needed the ball, right? So um, I was a quick, athletic kid. Um, so I think I just pretty much dominated the camp on the basis of my pure talent. Um, and my team was, it was pretty evident at that time that I was the best player there. Uh, John Locke. Lockie, their NCAA gives a award out at the Final Four, the John Locke Award. John Locke was an instrumental part of North Carolina and its uh, run with Dean Smith. He was at the camp, and uh, he thought I was being good enough at that time that he said, hey, I'll be telling Dean Smith about you. And so I didn't realize how good I was until I started getting those kind of comments. Yeah. And Pistol Pete, uh, told me I reminded him of Nate Archibald, and I didn't really know who Nate Archibald was, but getting those kind of compliments of who, what type of player I could be kind of opened my eyes to just how good I was. However, I was rough around the edges. And so kids at the camp liked me because I was a good basketball player off the court. They didn't like me when I was on the court. Mm. And so um, when Pistol Pete, by the end of the week, when Pistol Pete has this, you know, um, invitation for me to have lunch with him on Friday afternoon, uh, I'm thinking it's because I dominated the camp and he's going to tell me about how he's going to help me get to college and all of that stuff. And turns out, you know, um, it's more along the lines of, you know, Stefan, you, you, you've done a great job here at camp. You're, you have an immense amount of talent. You're, you're a pretty good player. I can see a great future for you. And, uh, you know, um, he said, I don't say this to most kids at my camps because I haven't seen a lot of kids like you, but you can be an NBA player one day if you're willing to work hard and do the things that you're capable of doing do the right thing. Again, those people who told me stay away from drugs, alcohol, all that. All of that sounded great, and uh, he's tooting my horn. 
And then, boy, he punches me in the gut. Uh, he says, Stefan, uh, the reason why I invited you here is because uh, we give out an MVP award, a Most Outstanding Camp Award. And although you were the best player here, you, you dominated the camp, I will not be giving you that award. And I say, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you got to understand now, you go to the part to win the games. That's right. You don't get credibility. You don't get any kind of consolation or anything, adulation or anything, unless you win the games. That's you right. dominate your opponent to stay on the court. That's what I was taught. Mm. That's what my whole life was built around. So when he says, I'm not getting that award, I was devastated. It's the first time in my life I've ever encountered someone telling me about my character. When I played Little League football, I won awards. When I played baseball, I won awards. Yeah. Made the All-Star team. I always played whatever sport I played, I won awards. And for him to tell me, right, to be the first man that ever looked me in my eye and tell me I wasn't good enough in a certain area was devastating. Mm. And I got so upset, even with the great Pistol Pete, I, I flipped the uh, lunch tray over with, pushed the table away, and I ran, ran off. And uh, I, I thought I'd call myself running off of campus and, and running home. I told him I'm running home. And, you know, <laughs> realizing that you're in Pensacola, Florida, you can't run too far. <laughs> so, so I, uh, so I ran it and I sat on the curb and I was crying on the curb. And uh, Coach Stallman, uh, Pistol Peak, told Coach Stallman that I had was running off campus and. and uh, Anybody need to go get me. And uh, he comes up and he sits down on the curb with me, puts his arm around me, and he tells me, he says, Stefan, you, uh, what happened? I told him what happened. And he said, well, that's the reason why I brought you to camp. Mm. I watched you at this gym. Uh, great talent, but your character is something that I wanted you to mm. hear, Pistol Pete message. And perhaps it would help balance you and help you become the player that you're capable of being. And no one had ever told me anything like that before in my life. And so he said, I would encourage you to come to the closing ceremonies and listen to Pistol Pete's story. I think you will enjoy it. So I was like, okay. So I go to the uh, ceremony and and give out all of these awards. And I'm upset that I didn't get the award, so I'm pouting and sulking. And as a young man sitting there at camp, he tells the story of, you know, his life. And although on the outside, everyone got to see how great he was as a player, they didn't realize what he was going through as a person. Uh, he struggled in, in areas with his own self-identity, trying to find or feel love in drugs, women, and alcohol. Uh, 
scoring the points was more being the best player about getting you getting that love and appreciation from the crowd and from the fans because although he had a dad who loved him to push him the way he did his dad never communicated love and you got to understand he he shares this story while his dad's in the room wow i mean he and his dad were the best of friends press marovich was at the camp as well. I got to meet his dad before he passed away. Um, and so sharing this powerful testimony, the room is silenced, there are tears everywhere. And he shares the story about coming to face to face with a guy who wanted to kill him because of his big mouth. And he asked God, if you would just save me, hmm. I'll never do it again. And so he wasn't much of a trash talker after that. Uh, you know, the uh, issues with, you know, his knees. He uh, wasn't, didn't, uh, wasn't the same player that he was and ended up retiring at an early age. Uh, and then, you know, doing camps, Christian camps around the country, uh, reaching souls for Christ through his basketball camp. Um, he closed out the camp and, you know, tells the story of being with the Boston Celtics and um, the chaplain um, sharing Christ with them the day uh, before a game. And he became a Christian. Mm. And um, at his camp, they would always, he would end it with, if you're sitting here, and you're not a Christian, um, and you would like to be one today, I want you to come forward. And I got up out of my seat, and I walked forward at a basketball camp, at a basketball camp. God used a basketball, the tool of a basketball camp, to change my life. I walked forward, and um, Pete says... This is why I talked to you earlier mm. today. It's because you've got the ultimate award now. You've got Christ Ooh, in your life. Ooh, baby. Mm. So I didn't understand the magnitude of it all at that time, but it was almost instantly I became and felt like a different person. And we came back home to my house and living in a two-bedroom apartment. We never had more than a two-bedroom apartment. You either slept with your siblings or you made a pallet on the floor. Uh, living in this two-bedroom apartment with all of my siblings, uh, I started to feel like I don't belong. Mm. And I started to think you know, what else is there in life to do? But I didn't have any choices or course recourse. And that's when uh, uh, I saw Dave Stallman again at the gym. And he said, have you ever thought about going to a Christian school? And I said, I didn't know what a Christian school is. What do you mean? <laughs> so he said, oh, yeah, Christian school is where you go to learn about Christ and you get an education just like school. 
And he said, um, you know, offered me the opportunity to, to come. And at that time, I was like, nah, you know, we, we're, we're picked to win state again. You know, yeah. I'm looking forward to winning state. And, and then I saw him again. And when I saw him again, uh, he said, uh, why don't you come out and just take a look at it? And I said, okay. And so that's when I asked my mom, can I go? And my mom told me that um, uh, I could go. And I went out to the school, and it was at, again, that 5 o'clock in the morning prayer meeting yeah. that God spoke to a woman named Lynn Johnson and told her that if I came to school there to offer me a place to live. And Unbelievable. The rest is history. <laughs> so you, you think about this, and I want to ask you one final question. You, you've gone through so many experiences, man. God has just done so many things in your life and through your life. One final thing. Why do you think God created Stefan Larry when he put you together and he knit you together and he wired you like he wired you and gave you the experiences he gave you from these amazing teachers and coaches to your brother investing in you, taking you to the gym and the coaches and Miss Johnson and, and pistol Pete and, Coach Meyer, too. I mean, all the people that have poured, Doc Falwell, that have poured in your life. Why do you think he created you? What would you say? Wow, that's a powerful question. You know, um, Mike, being 51, I think I'm still mm, <laughs> mm. figuring out Amen. that answer. Amen. What I would say to that, though, is God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of our lives. And I think sometimes we can get locked in on what that plan seems like it is. Mm. But I like to look at it as more of what I'm evolving into what it is. Mm. Mm. I think the story in the life of Stefan Larry is still being created, which is why I'm here speaking to you today. It's because, you know, I'm still becoming. That's good. What God created me to become. But I think what his intention is and what he created me for was to use the life of Stefan Larry to share the love of God to share the power of God and to share the knowledge of God. The love, the power, all of that gives you purpose. I discovered my purpose in knowing who I was simply because I came to know a God who used me, took me down a path that although it's some path that I didn't know myself, you know, what that path was going to lead me to. I just followed it. And as I look back and reflect on what God has done in my life, uh, I say to people, I don't know how I wrote a book, Mike. <laughs> I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I invented a product and have a patent for it. I, I have a number that is written in the U.S. government patent department. 
for a product of a training and rehabilitation shoe that hopefully will impact and change the world the way people retrain and rehabilitate. Um, I don't know what all of that is, but what I do know, a family reached out to me and loved me enough to give me a second chance in life. So I know and understand the power of love and I know and understand that power beyond the color of the skin mm. because it was a white family who took them to me and treated me like one of their own and still do today. That love, as the scriptures des describe, covered a multitude of sins in my mm. life. Mm. My knowledge and that love gave me a knowledge of who God was in my life. And that knowledge that I gained in knowing who God was through all the ups and downs, through all the twists and turns, through all of the adversity uh, that I've been through and been able to get to the place that I am today, I know, I know God. Mm. And the power of God and what he can do in the life of an individual that he submits himself to fulfilling his purpose on his life. And so I think he created Stefan Leary to use that love, to share that knowledge, and to help people understand the power of God in their life. And that's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm trying to do. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Stefan. What a guy and what a leader. And it's just so great to know that there are people out there in this world making a difference. You know, there, there used to be the old phrase, you can curse the darkness or you can light a light. And I love that guys like Coach Stefan Leary are out there lighting a light, making a difference, and making this world an absolutely better place phenomenal. Thank you so much, Stefan, for spending that time with me and for making the difference that you're making. Well, our next episode is going to be a fun one. In fact, it's going to come out next Monday. It's a little bonus episode we're throwing in. I get to sit down with another Liberty University graduate, Miss Shannon Bream, who has written a brand new book about all the incredible women leaders in scripture and how God used their life. And what I love about it is how God is using Shannon's life on a national platform to share her faith, to share her story, and to make a difference. So I can't wait to be with you again next Monday with Shannon Bream. Once again, thanks for listening. Now, go be the leader that you are created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.